time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. I know this is a really hard time for everyone. We're facing a killer virus, economic pain, and all the frustrations of being cooped up at home. Believe me, I have two teenagers to deal with. But the worst thing we can do is let up now, triggering a second coronavirus wave that causes more death and economic chaos. What you're doing is working. You're saving lives. So let's all hang in there and please stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, roll into hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a new book called Unplanned, based uh, um, in in many ways on uh, on his own life experiences. His name is John Camage. He joins me by phone. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Tom. Just one correction. Um, Unplanned was an earlier book. The one that launches today is called um, uh, She, she uh, Wore a Yellow, yellow dress. dress. Yep, I did get those turned around. My apologies, but but it's <laughs> kind of but it kind of ties into uh, the the thread of our conversation because you started writing um, a little bit later in life. No, absolutely. Uh, I started uh, once I. Uh, was rich enough to retire back in 2013 and uh, didn't know what I would do with my time and um, I wanted to keep the brain working and um, I'd attended my son's high school uh, creative writing classes back in the 1990s and I sort of said well okay why don't you write you know you get a little bit of creativity and see what comes out and but you ended up writing uh, about things that you experienced and and had researched how did that all come about i mean you you tell a story of um based on something that that your mother told you uh toward the end of her life yeah it's it's complex and and, and bear with me for a minute or so but um uh, just before I retired, my my mother sat me down because I'd 
always asked about, well, why am I here? How did I come into this world? <laughs> and she sort of, you know, I knew I was brought up with a stepfather as well as my mother. And she, uh, she shocked me. She said, well, way, way back in 1943 in the middle of the war in the north of England, Yorkshire, um, when I was age 20, um, I was sexually assaulted. Today, she said, you'd call it rape. And you were the product of that. And uh, my um, mother and father wanted you adopted. Um, abortion was illegal back then. Um, Probably not the answer you were looking for, John. Not at all, not (laughs) at all. And and, then last of all, but was you were born, I had Ave Maria playing in the background, and I vowed I would keep you. And she did, and she made huge sacrifices in her life, which I've captured in uh, the book Unplanned. I also researched and discovered my father who died many years earlier so he's a feature in the book but all of this sort of said well well how did you how did you progress from that lifestyle at home to be a successful person career-wise and actually be able to emigrate and become a United States citizen and it's that that feeds into she wore a yellow dress how did uh these these events that you write about in Unplanned and and now in uh, She Wore a Yellow Dress, how did that all intersect with, with events that, that led you to write the uh, your other book, uh, Abandoned in Berlin? Uh, uh, um, Abandoned in Berlin uh, sort of is, is midway. And um, in 2016, myself and a, and a friend... Um, whose mum came from Berlin, um, was paying a visit to Berlin, and she wanted to see the house in which her mother lived. It turned out to be uh, a two-block apartment, and all she knew was that um, the Nazis took it away from her mother, who then escaped to Austria, married there, was chased by Hitler when he came to Austria, and ended up spending the war out in, in, in Shanghai. Some of my friends said, you know, Camage, that book's probably as interesting as the book that you've written. Why don't you write something? I also thought it would be good practice writing for She Wore a Yellow Dress. So that's how I sat down to write it. It's, it's a true story. It really, the storyline is not linked into the other two. Ah. But it's another situation where uh, a woman, a woman is the supporter uh, is, is basically the, uh, um, you know, the chieftain of the story. And that's, um, you also sort of touch on this, this idea of living under lockdown caused by external yeah. adversity. And, and, of course, when I say that, it, it sounds like we're talking about the pandemic, and and we're we're not we're talking about similar conditions, but caused in fact by a major strike among British miners that took place at the end of 1973 to 1974. And um, you know it was a nationalised industry, so their employer was the government. 
the two parties couldn't agree, and a long and protracted strike took place, which by the end of uh, December uh, of 1973 caused the government to announce that we have no electricity, we have no coal, people can only work three days a week, uh, we're going to have lots of power shutoffs, um, sort of stay at home, shop when you can, and hopefully the miners will come to their senses. It also coincided exactly with the birth of my first child. Um, I, I'm not sure how much I want to explore that, John. Well, it was just for propriety's uh, sake. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to sort of, you know, the first three months of a child where it was dark in the house most of the time, there was no heating, there was no power, Um, you know, you had uh, cloth and um, diapers at the time, and so you had to wash them in cold water. It It was not pleasant. Well, I was thinking more about what people do when they're when they're locked down. <laughs> well, yeah, there was. Uh, I, you know, we had a, you know, a baby on the way, but uh, the uh, the off license, as they call them over there, uh, did a roaring trade with alcohol. Yeah, I would. I would bet. Um, but let me let me ask you this, John, because as I was. Um, I haven't had a chance to read the the book yet, but I uh, was reading about the book, and I, I came across a phrase that I wanted to ask you about. It had to do with this, this idea of you were writing these things based on your own story and your own experiences, but then you changed all the names. Why did you decide uh, to do that as opposed to making it a memoir or, or an autobiography? It, it, was, it, was a, it was a hard decision. Um, as I say, Abandoned in Berlin is a true story. Uh, people's names were, were changed just to avoid upsetting people. And she wore a yellow dress. Um, there were times when you know, I couldn't trust my memory. Uh, and therefore I felt uncomfortable saying, hey, this is true. Um, unplanned had upset some of my relatives um, uh, exceptionally, and I didn't want to do that. And by making it a fictionalized autobiography, it allowed me to make the story more cogent and, and more understandable. But if someone asked me, I've got to say that 90, 95% is, is me and my wife. Yeah, that's and and I found that interesting. You know, of course, we have that uh, that old radio and and television series Dragnet, where they always change the names to protect the innocent. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but in this case, it was kind of an interesting choice, and that's why I wanted to ask you about it. That um, that it was more about being afraid that if you used people's names, a you would upset people, but b you might not be as clear on your facts and so it was better to make it a fictional story based on true events absolutely you're absolutely correct i mean i even today in some ways it, it, it you know would have liked to have uh, you know uh, sort of seen it as a memoir but uh, at the end of the day um, i wanted to be respectful towards friends and family
Had you done any writing um, during your career, which, as I understand, was primarily in uh, uh, human resources, as we call it today? Um, had, had well, yes, I had. I mean, human resources is is an awful lot of writing, uh, but it's um, what I'll call programmed writing. You know, uh, you, you technical you, writing. Uh, yeah, you know, dear dear Summer, I'm pleased to offer you this job of such and such. Or, dear Tom, I'm sorry to tell you that we've uh, um, abandoned your job and you're no longer working for this company. Or, or writing policies and the like. There's not a lot that's creative in that. Um, writing a novel that's creative. Yeah, it's it's a lot of um, policies and procedures and in. The, the, the it more and technical I mean, and, and back to the 1990s and you know a few nights of night school at creative writing and i sort of realized sort of you know what you could find in your mind if you uh, didn't um sort of uh, censor it uh, now that you've got now that she wore a yellow dress is out and and you have these other books unplanned and uh, abandoned in berlin um, would you say you've got the bug now? Yeah, I've got the bug. I mean, it, it, it is perfect. It's a perfect thing to do in the middle of a pandemic. Sit and write, research, uh, rewrite, change. Um, yeah, yes, 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 I have. What I write next, I'm not sure. It depends on how she wore a yellow dress uh, is successful. I could write a, a sequel to that. Um, I could write. There are, there are a number of subjects in my mind. Yeah, I, I've got a title for uh, the sequel to She Wore a Yellow Dress. It's called And Matching Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll oh, do it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being facetious, John. Um, no, no, no. I mean, you know, that the feet, shoes starts to kick there's a bit of conflict in that isn't there <laughs> could be could be <laughs> um and I, I i'm curious about uh, how productive you've been able to be during the uh, pandemic and the various uh, shelter at home restrictions uh, over this past year um because i've talked to some writers who said you know it seems like i should have been but i just kind of walked around like a deer in the headlights i was you know i say i've been i've been very very productive uh, there's an issue of research um and if you have to go off somewhere and and do research then i think that gets in the way of writing with your know, travel restrictions etc sure in my case uh, the research was done either from books on my bookshelf or you know on the internet i had uh um, I, I took notes when my mother sort of explained to me uh, uh, the nature of my birth. Um, she also prepared a detailed diary from uh, um, literally her birth until she was age 55. Wow. And then I, I discovered this new wonderful uh, half-sister in, uh, in central England, and, John? and she gave me uh, a long story. John, I hate to interrupt, but we need to put a comment there. I have to take a break. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Will do. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, My guest is uh, John Camage, the author of She Wore a Yellow Dress. We'll have more right after this. Everybody's doing 
it on a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Tom Summer. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with author John Camage. He has uh, a new book called She Wore a Yellow Dress. John, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, good to be here. Um. John, just before the break, you were talking a little bit about uh, about research and um, being able to be productive during the uh, the pandemic. Um, but I wanted to explore the the research part a little bit because one of the things that you discovered and and correct me if if I get this a little askew, but was was that in many ways things are not so different now than they were back then. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the sort of the basic living conditions were maybe different. You didn't have mobile telephones and you didn't have personal computers. But, you know, there were issues of education and should education sort of be free. There were uh, um, sort of, you know, issues in Britain of, of belonging to the common market. That's when Britain joined the common market. And if you look at the reasons they joined, you understand the reasons why, you know, Brexit happened. Um, uh, there's the issue of, of abortion um, that, you know, stares me in the face. Um, you know, just imagining what might have happened today uh, if what my mother told me uh, had not occurred during sort of World War II. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there, there, there are lots of things uh, that... Uh, really speak to today so it's a case of you know everything changes but nothing changes <laughs> like a woman's right to choose like a woman's right to choose yes and, and I, I i fully i again sort of i you know i fully support that i don't think it's an issue of the woman having the right to choose to me it's uh, it's probably avoiding the pregnancy in the first place well, you have uh, the new book is She Wore a Yellow Dress, and it's an outgrowth of, of the book Unplanned. Where does one begin and the other leave off? Um, Unplanned uh, leaves off when I'd gone to university. I, I basically um, sort of uh, left home. Um, I'd moved a few miles away to the University of Hull. Um, and then she wore a yellow dress, picks up during my third year at uh, Hull University uh, when I uh, happened to meet the person that uh, is wearing the yellow dress. And that is uh, the beginning of, of what becomes your marriage? It's the beginning of what um, you know, becomes my marriage, uh, which occurred in 1967. The story goes on for a decade, goes on for 10 years. Um, uh, it, it begins at a, uh, at a bonfire night. It ends at a 
Bonfire Night sort of 10 years later. And, and Bonfire Night is not July the 4th uh, in, in, in Britain. It's November the 5th. And uh, uh, it, um, I, I, I guess it celebrates um, a failed attempt to attack the capital, so to speak. It's uh, Guy Fawkes' failure in 1605 to blow up the Houses of Parliament. There are still some remnants of that event, as I understand, in the building itself. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. And uh, and and why, by the way, I, I I chose to cover that in my story because uh, um, Guy Fawkes was born in York, which is uh, you know the setting for this book, and in some ways he had a background like mine. And and then how how interestingly coincidental that is with the uh, events of last month in the U.S. Capitol. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, you know, when you you look at it uh, in, uh, uh, it's it's very, very similar. I mean, uh, you know, there were, you know, we're we're talking about, uh, you know, terrorists in his case, it was treason, and uh, when you look at what happened back then, I don't advocate it for today, but treason caused him to be arrested, to be tortured, uh, and to be hung, drawn, and quartered. Uh, well, the, impeachment has nothing like that. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were a little tougher on crime in those days. <laughs> they were a little tougher on crime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's. Um, there's there's a question, and I'm not sure exactly how to put it, John, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, you know, when you write a story based on your own life and, and experiences that you've had in your life, what, I mean, we all have lives, we all have unusual experiences that, that happen, you know, in some cases very dramatic things that have happened in our lives, but not all of us think of it as as being worthy of a book what led you to that conclusion i i think it was i, I think it was a way two ways it, it was a way of saying thank you to the many people that had helped me on the way through life and in 2010 my wife had passed uh, as a result of cancer and in a sort of uh, uh, sort of way it was a means of of reconnecting with her and and almost through writing the book I got to know her much better than I knew her in 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 real life it it sounds weird and it probably is weird but it was very gratifying I well I'm not sure I uh, humorist uh, Alan Sherman wrote uh, in one of his books, of all the people we will know in our lives, um, our parents are the ones that we will know the least. I, in, in my case, clearly my, you know, my father, I think I know my mother much more now as a result of that uh, three-hour discussion uh, with her, uh, you know, it's a year before she died, and uh, and 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 having written the book, I think we're so busy 
pushing and moving through life, living day to day, that we don't find the time to look back and reflect. And if we could do that, um, it's a bit like climbing the mountain. If all you're doing is looking to the peak and it, it doesn't get any closer, it can be depressing. But if you look over your shoulder and realize how far you've already come, it's reassuring and it uh, motivates you uh, to continue. And I think that's what happened as I wrote. I, I was fascinated by uh, the fact that you had worked at Ford. When I first read that, John, I I just automatically assumed Detroit because I live about an hour from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, of course, it wasn't in Detroit. It was in the U.K. It, it, it was uh, in the U.K. I mean... Um, uh, in 1967, uh, Ford created Ford of Europe, and all the senior positions were uh, held by sort of Americans. So while I never visited Detroit at that time, um, I had close contact with Americans. Um, two sort of anecdotes. One is they would always say the Brentwood area uh, was just like um, was just like home, and uh, having had my daughter attend. Uh, 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 Michigan State in Lansing and driving to Detroit, I understand uh, why they would say that. And then the other is they would often pop into the corridor of the offices and shout John to see who would look around because their view was everyone in England was called John. <laughs> why, why is that? I well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's not true. But I'm not trying to put you on the, the game spot. They played. But I just wondered if there was some you know, some period of time where that was very trendy. I, it may have, I mean, it's, it's, it's still there. And, and maybe back then it was, uh, uh, John was a, an even, you know, commoner. I mean, John Ball was uh, the epitaph for uh, beating Hitler in the war. That was sort of almost the patron saint of Britain was John Ball. And I think that's why I was named John uh, and maybe many others were. Um. Do you have um, a, 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 a curiosity about World War Two? You know, I'm fascinated by it. Um, uh, to really sort of understand, sort of, you know, what happened. I, I, I didn't say earlier, but uh, um, you know, the person involved in uh, the assault was a, a civil engineer and. Uh, he was seen as a very, very important person in the village, in the community in which uh, that incident you know, took place. He was building what I think was the last bomber airfield constructed uh, in the county of Yorkshire before the D-Day invasion, and the pressure was to get that open to be part of D-Day. How candid was your mother in telling you about the assault? Uh, obviously, for 84 years, she refused to say anything. And it was always a case, your daddy was your daddy, meaning my stepfather was my, my real father. When, when she broke down, um, she was very, very candid. And uh, it went on for three or four hours. Um, she went into the detail of, of terrible times. Uh, it, uh, um, it it really was amazing when, you know, uh, I got up the following morning to 
leaved Heathrow for, for San Francisco. She worried that um, in some way I would be upset, and uh, uh, she asked me. And, you know, I wasn't. I was still digesting. It was interesting that 90% of what she said about my father turned out to be true. Probably the one significant mistake was um, he had a son and a daughter from a, a regular marriage, and she'd got the name of the son mistaken. But that was all. Were you able to come to to grips with the idea that that that's how you were conceived? Do you ever come to terms with something like that? Um, that's a question I keep sort of asking asking myself. Yes, I I come to terms with it. In 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 in, in fact, I'm just happy to be here. I'm even happy to be talking uh, to you, Tom. Um, I have a lot to be a lot 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 to be thankful for. I I sometimes wonder had I known this earlier in my life, might it have impacted me? I I think I was always sort of ambitious, dedicated, hard work, persevered. But you know, would it have made me feel sorry for myself if I would have known? I don't know. Um, and there's no need to know. But it's but it, yet it's. Um a fascinating uh, piece of information and and a piece of history. What was it like for you uh, trying to get to know your your birth father, for lack of a better term, um, in in preparation for for writing these books? I, I uh, owe uh, most of the information to my half sister. Um, I you know. I used Ancestry.com initially to uh, you know, track down my my father and his father, and then I ran into sort of a, a roadblock. So I engaged uh, uh, a genealogist uh, out of the UK, and she did some uh, wonderful research, and finally discovered where his wife had died, when she had died, and that the person attending. Uh, and being named on the death certificate was the husband of my half-sister. And so the genealogist wrote to my half-sister saying, look, I think you've got sort of a half-brother in Yorkshire. Uh, he would like to talk to you if you would like to talk to him. And she said, yes, I, w I would. And uh, a few months later, I was knocking on her door um, in, a, in, a, in a house, in fact, in Shropshire. She had her eldest daughter and son-in-law behind her in case this person turned out to be some nasty individual from America. I <laughs> don't think I, I did. Uh, and, um, you know, they sort of said, hey, he just looks like Uncle So-and-so, and tucked me in, sat me down. We had meals and, t and, and talked, and then she gave me just a great deal of, of information about my father. And that really is, has gone into the book unplanned. Uh, and, I, and although she was deceased, I sort of shared it with my mother. That's another reason why that is uh, more of historic fiction than uh, uh, you know, a biography of my mother. Do you have other siblings, John? I, I do have other siblings. If I go to my... Mother's side, I'm I'm the eldest of five, 
And if I go to my father's side, I'm the youngest of three. And and do you consider them all siblings since uh, uh, contacting your, your half-sister? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I would I would consider my half sister, you know, very much uh, a relative. Uh, my half brother um, lives in, in in the Far East and uh, had his own troubles growing up, so sort of opted out of life. Looking at my on, on my mother's side, um, my younger brother and sister, I would regard myself close to. Uh, the other two were on good terms when we meet, but we rarely meet. Interesting, interesting. And have you gotten reactions from them about writing about these things? Um, actually, not from. Oh, well, from 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 my um, younger sister, absolutely. You know, really. You're pleased I, I did it. Uh, she was very close to my mother. Um, my my brother was unhappy that some of the stuff uh, wasn't particularly nice, wasn't particularly pleasant. And then my mother's youngest sister really was very uh, 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 upset. You know, why are you washing our laundry in public like that? Right. What What about your wife? Does is does she? watch what she says now for fear that it might uh, turn up in a book someday? Um, <laughs> she does not. She does not, but that's sort of a... Well, that's a little sad piece, uh, and maybe not in the story. Um, she left me in 2010 because of, uh, of cancer. We'd been oh, married 40-odd you know, years. Um, and, um, you know, in her last two or three months, I'd managed to track down my half-sister. I hadn't talked to her, so my wife knew that um, I, uh, yeah, that I was illegitimate, that uh, I had a father and a family somewhere distant. And it still hurts me to think that I was never able to share my discovery uh, about my other family with my wife. You know, it's interesting that you use the, the word illegitimate john um in in this day and age um does it mean the same thing uh i Do you know what i mean it, because there are so many single mothers the issue the, the problem i have with uh, with isn't with illegitimate but i have uh, legal papers uh that my mother gave me after uh, or sent to me after she uh uh, you know, talk to me that talks about the bastard laws um, of of England. So basically, I was uh, a bastard so far as the law was concerned. That's a pretty nasty name. Well, and that's that's what I mean when you use that term. It has it has a connotation of exactly that. Um, yeah. And and yet today it's it's so much more common for women to have and raise children without being married i know I, I agree and it's this thing that you know um you know same and different uh, some things are the same yeah. but you know they're they're also very 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 different and you know i i i, I absolutely you know uh, probably you know i think we know what would have happened you know if that assault would have uh, have taken place today and 
you know, let's say, um, you know, I survived that, then uh, the chances are I would have been fostered or, or adopted. It was, it was incredible reading letters from, uh, you know, the time of my birth from, from friends and relatives saying, you know, and this is to my mother, that it would be the best for you to, to give him away. Uh, he'll never know that. He'll have a lovely, loving family, and you'll get your freedom back. Interesting. Um, John, what do you hope readers come away from these stories with? I, I, I hope that readers will come away with, uh, with a sense of, um, if you want to sort of achieve something, it doesn't matter where you came from how you arrived. I think with, with, with dedication, with perseverance, uh, with a human spirit, i.e. caring for other people and hard work, um, you know, any, any, anything is possible. I, I, I begin the book, and I'm just turning over the, the front page of uh, a copy I, I have here, and what I say, in spite of adversity, I'm determined to make something of myself by perseverance, hard work, intelligence, and humanism. I'm British, age 21. I love bird watching. I live in Yorkshire, and I'm called John. This is my story. Very nice. And I, and I hope they will feel my story in their story and um, have hope for the future if uh, they need hope. Well, I we're almost out of time, John. But I, um, but I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's uh, John, which is with an H, J O H N, and then R, which is my middle initial, stands for for Richard. So John R. Camage, C A M M. I-D-G-E dot com. Both King's names. Uh, yes, 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 yes. King John and, and King Richard named after my, uh, after my grandfather. I think I, I, I need to go back and look at some Shakespeare and discover how well they liked each other. I suspect not at all. Well, John, it's been a real pleasure and uh, and an honor to get to know you and, and chat with you a little bit. And I appreciate you sharing uh, your story with us, uh, not just this morning in this conversation, but in your books as well. I've enjoyed the writing. I hope people will read. I'm thankful to being here, and I'm thankful for your invitation. Well, you take care. And you, and you. Best of Bye, luck. Tom. Bye-bye. That was John Camage. He is the uh, author of a new book called uh, She Wore a Yellow Dress. It's a uh, follow-up to his uh, semi-fictional autobiography, if you will, um, and uh, one of, of three books that I'm aware of that, that he's written. In any event, we are going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners at WFOV, Our Voices Radio in Flint, 92.1 LPFM, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. 
And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then uh, we're going to get back to uh, celebrating uh, Mardi Gras a little bit today. Um, I've already had my punch key this morning. And uh, we're going to hear some appropriate music for Mardi Gras if there's... To be no parade, at least we can have music. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing, or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Right, so now, in order for you to understand what I'm going to do next, I have to go way back and speak about my great grandfather, whom we traced back to Marie Antoinette. As a matter of fact, my great-grandmother traced him back there a couple of times. <laughs> but he was partly responsible for the birth of my grandfather. He thought. <laughs> my grandfather was born in Denmark. He was Danish after his mother and Swedish after a friend of his father's. He was one of the great inventors of his time. He invented the burglar alarm, which unfortunately was stolen from him. <laughs> he was a brilliant man. He was, among other things, a PhD. Just a f- So was his wife. However, <laughs> besides being a brilliant, <laughs> he also was a great chemist. He was the one who invented the cure for which there was no disease in the <laughs> Unfortunately, his wife later caught the cure and died. <laughs> He was a strange personality. He always experimented with something. Once he, um, he crossed an Idaho potato with a sponge. <laughs> Imagine that silly idea. It tasted horrible. But it sure held a lot of gravy. <laughs> I think his greatest invention was a soft drink, which he called Four Up. <laughs> but it wasn't successful at all. So he invented Five Up. But still it didn't click, you know. Then came Six Up. But still nobody liked it. So he gave up and died heartbroken a couple of weeks later. But little did he know how close he came. <laughs> Then I was born, and when that happened, my parents were, well, they were not poor, but they didn't have any money. 
So I was actually born at home. And when my mother saw me, she was taken to the hospital. <laughs> One day, when I was four years old, my father came home. And he found me in the living room in front of a roaring fire, which made him very angry because we didn't have a fireplace. <laughs> there I sat, and here my father stood, burning up. <laughs> he pointed at me, see, my father was left-handed. He always pointed this way. I was sitting on the other side. <laughs> so my father said, Borger. He didn't know my first name. <laughs> See, in my father's family, we had a little trouble up here. <laughs> in the head. My father was all right, but his two brothers, my male uncles. <laughs> you know, in Denmark, we always distinguish, you know. I don't know if you're familiar with the fact that we have three sexes over there. <laughs> Male, female, and convertible. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was supposed to have been back to Denmark this summer. But I ain't going. Once I made up my mind what I was going to be, and that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> what I meant to tell you before was, and this is not a joke, this is really a fact, that two weeks ago, we celebrated my uncle's 103rd birthday. Isn't that something? Thank you very much. 103rd birthday. Unfortunately, he wasn't present. <laughs> How could he be? He died when he was 29. <laughs> but what I meant to say was that he was the one who went crazy. And his mother used to say that he went crazy because he never got the woman he loved. And that's a lot of nonsense because his brother went just as crazy. <laughs> and he got her. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Light way of saying when I learned how to play the harmonica. <laughs> you guess, <laughs> I heard you. Real clear, didn't you hear? Oh, now I'm down here in New Orleans. 
You are. I'm hungry. You're always hungry. I've been out there caught some crawdads all night long. But you know, when I'm in New Orleans, I make it a point of getting one thing to eat immediately upon arrival. You know what it is?
from the Tom Sumner Show. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.